Welcome to Break the Bias, a podcast mini-series hosted by So Perth. We're tapping into this year's International Women's Day theme and taking the opportunity to speak to some amazing Perth women. I'm your co-host, Carmel Levine, Head of Social at So Perth, and this is Jessica Cook, the So Perth Social and Content Executive. And today, we're joined by Fudzai Matambonanzo. Hi, how are you? Hello. Hello. So nice to have you here. No, thanks for having me. So Fadzai is the uh, CEO at Avenues Australia, which is a leading NDIS service provider specialising in supporting clients with highly complex and interrelated disability support needs. Founder of the African Dream Foundation, which uses education as a tool to tackle poverty in Africa and empower youth. She holds board roles in several not-for-profit organisations and is passionate about education and its role in addressing the root causes of poverty. Okay, great. So that was a great introduction, but we'd like to hear it from Fadzai herself. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Yeah, look, first of all, thank you so much for uh, having me on this podcast. I feel a bit honoured. I don't know. <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, look, my journey has been quite um, fast <laughs> and diverse. Um, look, I've worked in um, many different sectors, done many different types of roles. And I guess to go to the beginning, um, I did found the African Dream Foundation in 2008, uh, quite a while ago. And really, um, it, it did start as a scholarship fund um, where we uh, wanted to invest in education, particularly the girl child, but it evolved to both genders, um, having a bias towards uh, girls, uh, just to close that gap. Uh, and. Um, and career-wise, I started. Uh, I, I studied a Bachelor of Commerce, um, majoring in marketing, and then I got into a marketing role. I thought that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then I worked at Colgate Palmolive uh, for a while. Um, and then I decided that I didn't quite want to do that anymore. And um, with my work with the foundation, I was uh, quite connected with a lot of um, mining companies and things like that. And they, um, at the time, social impact in the mining sector was, you know, gaining a lot of traction. So I pivoted into that um, and I started doing consulting work for the mining sector in terms of social and economic impact consulting. So I worked on a couple of, you know, big mining and oil and gas projects and that sort of thing. Um, and then I transitioned and worked at uh, Social Ventures Australia, where I was an associate director. Uh, and then after that, I worked at the NDIA, the National Disability Insurance Agency, so a federal government agency, um, as an assistant director. And then I moved on to the NDIS sector and now running uh, Avenues Australia. So in between all that, I found time to do an MBA, um, you know, have a child and all that kind of usual life stuff. So, you know, just keeping <laughs> <Yeah>. busy. <laughs> what are you up to? Oh, nothing. <laughs> just some casual things. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And so um, currently you're CEO of Avenues Australia, um, along with African Dream Foundation, but we'll get on to that in a little bit. So tell us about that role and why that's important to you and how, how your day-to-day -day looks there. Well, I'm traditionally I'm quite interested in any kind of role where um, I am working on some kind of social impact work. Um, so when I worked at Social Ventures Australia, because it's a it's a consulting firm basically for the social sector, 
the disability sector was always coming up. And so that really intrigued me from a management consulting level because it's just large scale social change. And I love stuff like that. And I just always had my eye on it. So uh, when the opportunity came up to work at NDIA, I, I took it. So that was my first taste into how the the sector worked. Um, But I was quite interested in working in the private side of the sector. Um, And that's what brought me uh, to Avenues Australia. And, you know, it is important work because it is such large scale social change, which is work that I'm always interested in, um, highly complex and, and, you know, just very large in that sense. And, um, and, and the disability sector for me right now does represent that progression, um, particularly in Australia. Uh, the disability sector, particularly, we are a world leader. So what we are doing in NDIS is the first in the world. And it is the largest social change Australia has experienced since Medicare. And it's going to be bigger than Medicare, by the way, it's um, looking at the moment and the trajectory that it's going. So I... I And I think people with disability do deserve that and they have waited such a long time for such um, change in the way that they are supported to, you know, live normal lives like everybody else. And my mother as well inspired me as well to to work in this sector. So that's really what keeps me here and keeps me enjoying what I do. And um, yeah. Yeah, good. And how how did your mother inspire you? Is is there... A particular ins- reason that she was the inspiration or well my mother had a stroke at a very young age yep. well, relative to when people normally have strokes and she is an NDIS participant so I guess from that side of supporting her yeah I just I was already working in the sector to be honest before she became an NDIS participant but I think that really is what motivated me to get out of the government side of it mm-hmm. and onto the private market side of it because yeah that's really where a lot of the um, issues were from my point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to see the whole thing from a different perspective in an industry that you're already working in. Yes, exactly, exactly. So you know, at a government level, you know, you understand the policy and all that, but it was more just how it actually materialises on ground. You know, can be quite different. And I just thought, look, it's a much better use of my time if I actually worked in the sector itself. Um, so yeah, so I did that. Yeah, that's mm. lovely. Amazing. Yeah, wonderful. And um, so we're talking about International Women's Day, obviously, mm. here. Um, so what does that mean to you? What does International Women's Day to you mean to you? And how is that important in your role that you're in currently? Well, International Women's Day, you know, I'm, I'm always really conflicted with days like this because they're so important um, because, you know, we need days like this to have a voice, um, talk about important issues, you know, the, the you know, the biases that exist um, for women, and they haven't gone away. Unfortunately, you know, in my career, I've experienced them. And but but I guess for me, International Women's Day, the ultimate International Women's Day for me will be the last one that we ever need to have. Amen. <laughs> yes. Yes. We were having that you exact know, conversation yeah. this if morning. We, if yeah. we say as as a society, oh, this year is the last one ever, and we'll never need them again because you know. We've got there Wouldn't now. That'd be great. Yeah, that will be the <laughs> best international day of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Until yeah. then, you know, we do it because it needs to be done. But yeah, I do long for a day where we don't need days like this. And um, and even you know the International Women's Day breakfast I went to this morning, it really was a stark reminder that um, we still need days like this, and also uh, making sure that days like this are representative of women 
and women's experiences, because even amongst us women, we also have diversity in, in our experiences as, as women. And I think that in itself also needs to be represented um, in the mainstream as well. Sometimes we forget some of our privilege as um, as as women in the Western world and mm. And until all women have gender equality, I think we've still got a lot of work to do, so I couldn't agree more. Mm. Yeah. You yeah. couldn't have put it better, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Agreed with everything there. <laughs> yeah. We're nodding furiously. Yeah. And um, is there any particular women who inspire you or have inspired you in, throughout your career or life? Oh, look. Look, my, my mother, without sounding really cliche, probably mm. the biggest influence of my life. I admire her in, 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 in many ways. And I think, you know... It's not always about, you know, education and, and glossy careers and and all that. Sometimes it's just about quality someone has. And I and I did learn a lot of really amazing qualities um, from my mum that she lived herself. But I guess more famous women, I definitely say for me, someone like Oprah Winfrey is someone I really look up to. I try not to admire people that I've never met. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> yeah. that's kind of silly. <laughs> well, I read about you and you seem okay. So have you met Oprah? <laughs> I've never met her. Sadly not. But I, I always think, look, I th- actually think, and I've pondered on this a lot, if I actually did meet her, I think I'd still like her. Yeah. I think I genuinely would still like her. I'm pretty sure of that. So I think she would be in reality what she comes across yeah. in the glossy magazines, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, look, I think she's a very well-rounded person. I particularly like how she's used, I guess, her unfortunate early life, and she's really used that to build a much better version of herself and inspire everyone around her and bring up everyone around her with her. Um, that's a very hard thing to do, to achieve such success, but use your very unfortunate childhood or background as that stepping stone or that scaffolding to to building that life so yeah I really admire that yeah Yeah. so you are a big advocate for strong leaders as well Um, and obviously you know you have two huge roles so what do you think is important in being a good leader you kind of spoke about it with Oprah just there but what sort of values do you hold that are important to you I think it it really does depend on the person and what they want to achieve in their life. But I think in general, if we're to summarise it, I think, here, yeah, look, this is, <clears throat> it's a it's really hard thing to summarise, yeah. it really is. I think someone who's very consistent, I think consistency in pursuit of your goals uh, is really, really important. Having an open mind, uh, learning, uh, a lot is really important, but as you learn, you keep an open mind. You know, um, be willing to challenge your own thoughts. Learn from people who don't think like you. I'm, I'm a re- real big believer in that. That helps me. I don't like to believe my own bullshit. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you need someone to challenge you. Yeah, yep. I like. I love listening to people who don't think like me, and yeah. often people will look at that like, oh, how can you listen to that guy? He's so sexist. It's like, well, I don't know. I, I like to listen to people because in there somewhere, everyone, there is a truth in some, everything that people say, whether we agree with it or not. And so, yeah, I, I think keeping an open mind while you in that pursuit for knowledge and learning, be very consistent, working really hard, 
Um, I think those things really trump being a a very academic person, so to speak. I, I, I personally think if you have those qualities, generally no matter what you choose to do or what you choose to learn or focus on or be consistent with, you will do really well at it. And that open mind is so important because, you know, you, you, you can have that success and all that. But if, again, you're, you're, you're willing to stick to your own bullshit, um, not listen to anybody else or open your mind to new experiences, that's when these biases start to fester and become normal because we just don't, we just want to only know what we know. And um, I think that's really important in, in leaders and having that humility to admit when your what you thought earlier is wrong or needs some adjustments and mm. you change and having that humility to do that openly can be really hard <laughs> for a lot of people, but I think it's such an important um, quality. Yeah, no, I love that. And like speaking about the open mindset and stuff like that you have that ability to like listen to other people is so important, like such an important quality in people, I think. Yeah, and being able to change your mind, be given new information. Um, I think that's really underrated leadership skill. Yeah, because we yeah. know better when we do, uh, sorry, we do better when we know better. Yeah. So, you know, we don't always have the advantage of every single fact there is to know about it, something at that point in time. But, you know, you, you, you get presented with that information as time goes by and we should have an open mind to adjusting ourselves when we are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... I want to move on to African Dream Foundation. Um, so you're a founder of that. Tell us a little bit about that and what kind of inspired you to start that for people who haven't heard of it before. Yeah, look, I think ultimately I do believe education is key, particularly in, in developing countries. But it's a lot more than that because, you know, there are a lot of people who are educated as well. But it's about that opportunity as well um, when someone has uh, the education. But it's it's also the exposure that um, young people have to the outside world. So, so I was really passionate about um, education, and I still am. But back then, that really was what drove me. Um, in because, I guess the, the the key key part is that where I'm from in Zimbabwe, in particular, which is where a lot of the work started is that some of the smartest and brightest people are actually from the poorest backgrounds. And, and that's what is the irony of it over there. And so it, and what really is stopping them is opportunity, you know, um, opportunity to further themselves and, and to better themselves. But I'm often extremely humbled at how someone can have nothing but be so persistent and thirsty for that knowledge and be so smart and and it's just opportunity that's getting in the way and that's such a a waste of a, a person's mind and it's and society does miss out a lot on those types of experiences and again you know I, I personally would probably say even growing up in Zimbabwe I probably came from a more privileged background as well so even for me my mind has been very opened in that process in that I too learn from a lot of our scholars some of their diverse backgrounds I just things I just would never think of so for example I remember once I can't remember who I was talking oh I was talking to a, a CEO of an organization because we we do a lot of leadership programs as well 
and I was speaking to a CEO who had done really well in his career and his background is very similar to the background of the scholarships we're giving. So sort of come from, you know, quite a lot of poverty and some way, somehow ends up, you know, at the helm of some pretty big companies. So I was like, look, you, you're, you'll be pretty inspiring because, you know, your background is very similar to theirs. And I guess the way I was talking about our scholars probably in retrospect, probably sounded quite condescending now that I think about it before I was corrected. And he did correct me because, you know, if it's I, just because someone grew up in a in a country town, in a rural area, and back then, back there, it's um, rural, rural communities, um, just because they've grown up in that type of environment, it, it doesn't mean that they are less than people who didn't. And some people choose those lifestyles as well. Some people... They, they are very happy, even though they don't have much. And just the way he explained to me, I can't explain it the way he explained it to me. But it made me realize that, yeah, whilst you are sort of trying to help people and get give them that opportunity to, to self-actualize, basically, just because they didn't come from the same background as me, I can't assume that they were unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't assume that that environment didn't give them a lot and basically that's what he was saying is those environments although they're not ideal they can actually give us a lot as people and that's not acknowledged either Mm. and um, yeah it just changed my whole uh, frame of thinking about the whole thing and and that's why I've sort of come to that realization that it's just opportunity that stops one person from another person and sometimes that diversity in background actually makes someone richer in a way because the way they look at the world is a lot more, can be a lot richer than someone who maybe came from a more, what you'd say, a more privileged background. And I'm saying that in inverted commas. Um, maybe our way of looking at the world can be quite one or two dimensional, whereas maybe someone who's had a more diverse life has more 3D look of how the world works. And I think that's really important too for people like that to have leadership roles. It's so important because other people just totally miss the boat. Your intentions can be good, but you know, that diversity is, is so important. So yeah, no, it's it's been an amazing journey, um, a very humbling journey as well. Um, like I said, I've learned a lot through the, you know, you think you're, you're going to help people, but they end up helping you too yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways, in opening your mind. Like I say, very smart people. And, and I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not just saying that to, to exaggerate, very, very bright young people. And I've learned from them. Like sometimes I just, you know, we read some of these applications and essays, I'm learning. I'm like, wow, that's, that's an amazing way of looking at it. I never looked at it that way. And, and so it is a two-way exchange. It's, it's not actually like a one-way thing. This person with a fancy education flying in, helping all the poor people. And flying, you know. <laughs> It's a lot more dynamic than that, I think, and that, that's been the most humbling part of it all. And how is it um, more logistically, I guess, that you put uh, make sure that you're, the people that you're helping have these opportunities? It's been really hard with COVID. I'm not mm. going to lie. The, the travel restrictions and, you know, with when you have uh, things like that, you really want to 
reduce um, the administrative burden of operating as much as possible so that you can really focus on the on the good stuff. So COVID does complicate a lot of things. And so, yeah, so I guess in terms of the logistics, I don't know if that's what you were referring to. It's made it quite challenging, very challenging. And um, it looks like COVID will be here for a long time. So I think we definitely have to redesign and relook at how and what that looks like. Yeah, it's... it's Because it's all very well and good for us to say, oh, you just can deliver that kind of help online, but we're talking about potentially, you know, rural areas of Africa, yeah. which yeah. online is not necessarily, you know, again, that's maybe a little bit of our privilege. It's not necessarily the easiest thing to exactly, do. Exactly, exactly. I think, yeah, there's just some things where there is no substitute for it and... It's and these are the realities. These are the barriers, and yeah, it makes you realize that a simple thing like a pandemic, and no, it's not so simple. But to us, it's simple because we've solved the problem fairly easily. I mean, we're here having this podcast. We figured out a way to just make life go on. But I think it's not as simple for everybody. And yeah, and 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 it could entrench more disadvantage. I think COVID. And it, it does make you think about digital inclusion a lot more, mm. <laughs> definitely. Um, and, you know, how we can really kind of fast track that for people who don't have as much access uh, to digital, to the digital world, because that that is going to further entrench disadvantage in our society, for sure. So, yeah, yeah definitely thinking about how we change our value proposition as, as, as a scholarship fund and how we can still be targeting, you know, our most financially disadvantaged. And I'll say financially, and that's the other word I had to add in there yeah. <laughs> to be more conscious of, you know, the wording. You know, people who are more financially disadvantaged, I think, yeah, it does require a lot more planning and thought and strategizing as to how we still keep targeting the most financially disadvantaged who are the most excluded in terms of in the digital world um, and how we include them. Yeah. Yeah. And and so when you speak about the scholarships that you provide, can you kind of expand on like what sort of scholarships do you mean when you talk about that and how how does the application process kind of go for these people? Yeah so the scholarships are for university um, some of them are in the later stages of, of high school mm-hmm. um, so we found initially we used to give scholarships for primary school and um, high school uh, but I guess a closer look at the data you just find that a lot of the dropout happens um, towards the later years of high school. I guess they're year 10 equivalent, um, A-levels, O-levels. And and so making sure that our brightest minds don't drop out at such a crucial time of finishing high school. And normally it's people we've also identified that we would actually then transition them to university. But majority of them, we they do apply when they get to the university level because that is the biggest um, barrier. Uh, to education and financially financially and staying in in university and so it's not unusual to see people who are 30 and are still probably in their first year of university because they just save a bit of money they do a little bit and you know that's sort of not a good way to do higher education so um so it is universities we do um partner with universities as well but we also in terms of recruiting the scholarships we do it directly through schools 
and the local communities and church groups and things like that. And people apply and usually uh, through their schools and their schools will send us the applications or they'll just send it directly to um, the organisation. And, um, and yeah, it's really more about the leadership potential that we're looking for. It's not really about, it's obviously academic scholarship, but it's not purely academics. It's the leadership potential and qualities that the person could have if they were given the opportunities that we all need. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. No, yeah, that's mm. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so obviously this is all about, you know, upskilling and educating the African youth. What, what could this mean for our future? Why is it so important and why do you think it needs to be addressed? Look, it's... It's really, really, really important because, you know, I've got a couple of family members who still live in Zimbabwe and other other African countries. And, you know, I guess this problem exists everywhere, but recruiting quality applicants, you know, this is the impact of it in terms of how an economy functions, how productive an economy is, the, the, the quality of the talent in that economy to pick from as well. Um, that all really has a trickle-down effect on how efficient um, a country operates. And that, to me, is really important. Once someone graduates, they get their job and they're fine. After that, you go, yep, all good. But now you're sort of looking at those more systemic outcomes that the more successful you are um, in whatever industry you choose, I mean, most of our scholars, scholars without sounding cliche, they are doctors mm. <laughs> and accountants and lawyers. That's the majority of them. Not to say they have to choose those professions when they graduate, but they certainly are professions that have a lot of transferable skills, um, no matter what they choose to do later in life. And no matter what they choose to do, you know, they'll be okay. So now we're looking at that systemic stuff. So if someone has been trained to be a doctor, it's, you know, it's, it's them being aware of some of those public health issues that are, that are out there, how they, um, where they choose to put their time. You know, if I'm going to be working anyway, this is what I'm going to choose to do with my time. This is how I'm going to um, make those kind of strategic decisions in my career. So that's all very important um, to the scholarship that uh, they they are contributing to those more systemic outcomes for their community as well. And yeah, so that's, and, and we've got a lot of those. I mean, we've got um, a lot of scholars who, you know, now work at um, the big four in, um, in Africa. So your P- PWCs and your Deloitte's and all that. And they are, they're passing the baton. They are um, doing very well in their careers. They do a lot of work outside of their jobs to help other young girls. They do a lot of mentoring. And those are the kinds of things, you know, we like to see is that, yeah, once they've graduated and the investment's been made, those systemic level outcomes that they're contributing to as well. But that's exactly why you choose the the people that have got the, the leadership skills that you've spoken about, isn't it? So that, yeah. you know, you're you're getting the right people through and, and then in theory at one point that whole cycle doesn't need to exist anymore. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, <laughs> that's been... What you're doing is wonderful and, you know, it's really enlightening for me because, I, you know, hearing you talk about it is just, it's things that we don't think about sometimes. So it's, yeah, I think it's really important work. And um, so people want to, you know, get in contact with you or 
or have a look at this? Where can they go to do that? Yeah, look, um, we do have our website, so they can just um, contact us directly through there. And um, I'm also very reachable, you know, on LinkedIn and things like that. So, yeah, definitely. Fabulous. the best way. Amazing. Mm. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an incredible chat. I'm inspired. I'm <laughs> yep. going to give you a LinkedIn connection yes. request for definite. <laughs> um, so thanks again for coming along and talking to us on our Break the Bias podcast. Thank you.